Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor Mark, one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our series through the Beatitudes. Um, uh, last or two weeks ago, Pastor Dan began the series talking about uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now, I got to tell you and just uh, be completely honest with you that the Beatitudes have never really been something that grabbed my attention. They seem so foreign. I didn't really understand them. Uh, they're so countercultural. Uh, you know, blessed are the poor of spirit, you know, well, you know, blessed are those who mourn. These kind of things, my, in my uh, sin nature, it's like, I don't want any of those eight things, really. I mean, I want to, you know, humility and, and poor in spirit and being persecuted and all that kind of stuff. No, thank you. And, but as I grew and um, followed Christ more, and realize that this is really, at its crust, the, the, the thing it really differentiates Christianity from, from the world is this kind of this inverted thinking of, you know, we're all on this pursuit of, of fulfillment and happiness, and the world tells us, hey, you know what? This is how you're happy. I had a great conversation about this just the other day, just how I used to buy into this, you know, make a lot of money, live in a certain zip code that, that you want, drive a certain car, be married to a certain person, have a certain title or something like this, and then you will be fulfilled, that you will be happy. You will have this rich and abundant life. And millions, billions of people have gone on this path only to find nothing at the end, myself included. And coming back and looking and saying, you know what? This inverted thinking, this, this path less traveled, that maybe this Jesus guy knew what he was talking about. So as we continue through this journey of, of the Beatitudes, they are countercultural. They, are, they do go against what we have been told and told and told on how to live our lives. So today, I'm going to be talking about two of the Beatitudes. Uh, the first one is blessed are those who mourn. So happy are those who mourn. And, and the second one, I got I to tell you, I was, I was looking over my, my notes this morning, and you guys are in for a real treat. In fact, I think it might be some of the best teaching that you ever heard on the subject of humility. So just hold on to your seats, because I'm calling my shot here, and when we get to that, you are going to be amazed. So it reminds me, it reminds me of a sermon, uh, one of the longest sermons I've ever heard in my life, and actually it was in California, and Shannon was with me, and it was on the importance of listening. And this guy had like 48 points of like, and we were just sitting, and it became so ironic, it's like, shut up. Yes. <laughs> You know, listen to your own sermon, be quiet. You know, it was like totally ridiculous. So uh, please take the humor for what, for what it's worth, uh, humility and, uh, and mourning. So these are two things that are very, very countercultural. So if you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, where the Beatitudes are found, and in verse 4, the first one is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I think it's really important to, to uh, 
hear what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that he's going to fix your life. That's not the promise. The promise is blessed are those who mourn, happy are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. And the Old Testament and the New Testament has, has different ways of, of handling or, or looking at this idea of mourning. In the Old Testament, it was always associated with physical death, and they actually had uh, uh, a ritual of mourning. When somebody would come up to you and tell you that somebody close to you, maybe your wife or your husband or, or, or a child uh, or your parents died, what you would do was you would tear your clothes. That was the first step. And then you go into this, this mourning period where, where you would put on sackcloth and you would... Uh, uh, distort your face with ashes and, and dirt, and you would sit on an ash pile and, and these different things. And I was thinking about it, and in some ways, it's kind of bizarre that like this is how you mourn in the Old Testament. This is how you mourn. You go through this, and then there's a, there's a day where, where your mourning is complete, and you keep on going. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's so kind of far removed. And and so impersonal. But I was actually thinking about it this week and just like, wow, you know what? Actually, at least for me, I don't really know how to mourn very well. Uh, I, you know, I understand how to be sad or, or something like that. But, you know, where do you begin? Is there a healthy time where you can honor that person in your mourning, but also honor them with your life after that period of mourning. I don't know if in our culture we necessarily have that, and, but I think that, that there is value in that. And it's an interesting kind of discussion that we're not actually going to have today, but, but to look at that is like, you know, how do we bring honor to those who came before us? How do we appropriately mourn and, and honor their life? but also honor their life by continuing our life uh, in a way that, they've, they, that brings them honor in how they've taught us or their investment in us. Because we have the tendency all the time is not to mourn enough and never deal with it, or to always mourn for the rest of our lives. And perhaps, you know, this Old Testament way is perhaps a better way. When Jesus says this uh, in the Beatitudes, or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, there's pro he was probably alluding to Isaiah in uh, chapter 61, verses 2 and 3. And Isaiah wrote, He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel... He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festivals of praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like, a great, like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. And I love this, this idea and this imagery of, of God planting this great oak and 
my understanding of, of how seeds uh, grow is you put this living seed into the ground, it actually dies. And out of that, that death comes this new life. And in this imagery, that this, through this death of the seed, it grows into this magnificent oak tree. And it is for God's glory, God's splendor. So mourning in the New Testament is a, is a little bit different than more, uh, that Jesus actually expands our understanding of mourn, mourning, and mourning uh, includes sin, it includes loss, it includes social evil, and it includes oppression. Basically, coming to the point where the Sin in the world, which all these things are, less than God's ideal for humanity, less than God's ideal for creation, that allowing ourselves to allow our hearts to break for the things that break God's heart. But the cool thing is, again, in mourning, that this is not a perpetual uh, uh, time of despair. This is... uh, this is a time to let our hearts break and to die so we can break the ground into a mighty oak. We saw this happen with uh, Michael and Martha Hannah when the earthquake struck in Haiti, that they went into a time of mourning, very short time of mourning, before, but, but, very, uh, but they went into mourning and then they went into action. Their hearts broke for the Haitian people, and and that seed germinated into something beautiful that glorifies God. Cody and Katie Fox, hearts broke for for, uh, special needs uh, children in Uganda that were not... (laughs) Uh, being ministered to, and for missionaries, kids who uh, needed teachers, and, and their hearts broke for that, and they went to Uganda. We, we see this happen all the time locally, that, that those of you who are part of Serve Tallahassee, that, that with the mission to break the cycle of poverty, is to allow our hearts to break for those around us who hurt and to do something about it. We see it in E3 Fit, in, in, in Ashley and Lori and, and um, uh, other people who are involved with that, that, uh, you know, and that you know, we do these seminars and things that our hearts break, that, that our bodies are, we're not, we're not experiencing, or we see people not experiencing their bodies as being a temple and, and more that, it, that is weighing down their whole life. And this is one of the beautiful things about mourning is, is that, you know what, it brings community together. It allows me to say, you know what, I may not be great at, at you know, counseling, but I'm good at encouraging people uh, to outbursts of love and good deeds and, and help resource them. And coming along each other and mourn and say, you know what, we as the body of Christ can come together and make real change for the glory of God if we just allow the natural process that God has put into order to, to, uh, to take root 
and grow. Now, mourning is the natural response to the unnatural situation of being separated from God. Let me say that again. Mourning is the natural response to the unnatural event or situation of being separated from God. There was no mourning in the Garden of Eden. Mourning did not come until the fall. Till that separation, there was no death, there was no sorrow. In the ideal state, there was no uh, mourning because mourning is uh, that, that being united with God and being with Him and having a right relationship with God, people, and creation is the ideal state that God has for us. And it wasn't until that was disrupted that we experienced hostility between the man and the woman and nature and isolation from God and people. And that brought into being the state of, of mourning that we exist. So again, mourning is the natural response that is completely natural to, to hurt and mourn for sin in the world to the unnatural state of being separated from God. So in the New Testament, we see that mourning is, is associated in this separation. Number one, that, that people ask uh, Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 9 why their disciples didn't mourn and they didn't do all these kind of things. And, and Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn when, while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. And again, this idea that, that separation causes mourning, that, that, that the disciples were with Jesus. And people saw, why aren't, you know, why aren't they mourning? And Jesus saying, hey, because they are in the ideal state. They are with me. But when I go, they will mourn. And we saw that. We saw that in, in Matthew 24. And um, talking about when Jesus talks about the second coming, his second coming, and, and what is going to happen. And the, the sign, uh, at last, the sign of the Son of Man coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the people on earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Then we also see that mourning is associated with repentance. When the Holy Spirit reveals to us something in our lives that is self-destructive or community-destructive or is uh, separating us from the presence of God or having a right relationship with God or people that we go into this state of mourning. James chapter 4 and verse 8, he says it this way, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And again, sin separates us 
from a holy God. Holy in the sense of, of absolutely pure. And what, it, what is impure cannot be with or mixed or, or be together with what is absolutely pure. And when we realize this sin in our lives, we realize that there's something in our lives that are separating us from having a right relationship with God or a right relationship with people or a right relationship with nature, that, that again, the natural response is to mourn to this unnatural situation because we are living outside the ideal that God had set forth for us. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that we are covered by grace and there is a way back. And that way back is through Jesus. Mourning is also uh, connected with deep spirituality. That mourning is not just tears, but this is mourning is something that, that is your soul crying out. Your soul realizing that it is in the unnatural state of separation and, and, and crying for what has been lost. And then finally... In the New Testament, mourning is associated with death. That, that in a very real way, that, that when we are separated with, with people on this earth, that, yeah, you know what? That is, again, a disruption in the ideal state of what God originally envisioned for humanity. And it is the natural reaction to this unnatural kind of occurrence of death. So as you think about mourning, that mourning can be a beautiful thing. Mourning can, uh, uh, and allowing the old to die away and allow us to become a new creation in, in Christ. And I, again, I love the imagery of, of the seed being planted in the ground and dying. Dying to itself is being a seed, Right? And then the roots take place and it busts through the grounds and eventually this mighty oak is grown up for the glory of God. And if we respond and we accept God's gift of grace in any aspect of our lives, and if it's, if it's uh, you know, just kind of uh, your spirit has rebelled against God, or if we have chosen to not treat our bodies as, as the temple, or, or maybe we just, you know, it hadn't been revealed to us that a certain action or attitude is separating us from God and, and, and people to say, you know what, I mourn for that and I want to repent of that. And I know I have the hope that God will make me whole and bring me closer to his heart and mind on that. So the next beatitude is humility, and this is verse 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And humility was not praised or, or um, well-respected in the, in the ancient world, much like it's not, you know, really trumpeted today. That, that we feel, and this is, this is pride, and this is, this is uh, the lack of humility, when we are not humble, that, that we are 
trying to grab or, uh, what we believe is ours, that, that in, in pride that we, we say, you know what, I deserve that position or I deserve that honor or this or that, and we go down the list. And, and when we are proud that it actually puts us in direct opposition to God. In Pro- Proverbs, we're told that, that, that God doesn't assist the proud. He resists the proud. And he, and he humbles the proud. Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, though, however, is that humility is the proper attitude that we have in response to a holy and living God. That humility is a grateful, is being grateful and and. Uh, and, and realizing that, that the gift of life that God has given us. In your Bibles, it may say meekness, and, and uh, really this, this whole idea of meekness and humility that, that a lot of times we, we just think of somebody being gentle or, or not aggressive or things like that, but I think it's much deeper than that. That humility is an attitude. Humility is a state of mind. Humility is is actually being able to see your place in relationship to a holy God and his holy church. Humility is the appropriate response of a sinner in the presence of a holy God, is really just simply put. That this, this it is, humility, again, is the appropriate response. That, that we realize when we stand before the throne that we, you know, we don't belong on that throne. That that throne is Jesus's. And that we get to be there and, and worship him and see him. Jesus really created this humility motif and it's developed by watching him in his ministry. If you really think about, about Jesus' ministry and you think about some of the different things that, that he did that, that just showed humility, what was one of the first things you can think of the Son of God did in sh- to show humility? Anybody? What? Being baptized, maybe something before that. Foot washing, maybe something before that. All right. This is like memento, you know, we're going back here. Can we go any farther back? Born in a manger. It doesn't get much more humble than that. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, born in a barn, born in a sakot, actually, technically, and, uh, and born in these two, an unwed mother, a single mom, in the poorest circumstances, totally reliant on the people around him. 
This is the creator of the universe, and this is how he chose to begin his earthly ministry. He chose to, to be potty trained. That's pretty humble. That he chose to be a child and to submit himself to authority. What's some other things that we talked about that, that he did in his ministry? Let's try to... How did he begin his ministry? How? He began his ministry by asking people to join him, not demanding. That he began his ministry by being baptized. If anybody did not need to be baptized... That would be Jesus, right? The rest of us, we need it. We need to die to self and be a new creation in Christ. But in humility, Jesus is baptized. Of course, the famous one, the washing of feet, right? You know, that's probably the one that we most readily go to. And I, I think it's so important that that we think about this idea of, of washing his feet. Did, did Jesus, did Jesus's dignity suffer by washing his disciples' feet? Not at all. He actually showed his, how, how actually reverent and, and, and holy he was. And Jesus is sitting here in the face of, of, you know, even his disciples saying, no, no, Lord, I should wash your feet. No, I should even wash your whole body. And Jesus is saying, look, if you don't let me do this, then you're out. Because this is why I, I came was to invert the thinking of, of the powerful and the, the, the weak, and to show you that your fulfillment can be realized in the service of others. And then ultimately, what, what the ultimate symbol of humility Jesus gave us, what is that? The cross. I mean, that's really, when we look at the cross, that, we are looking at the symbol of humility. I mean, they mocked him. Yeah, Jesus, if you're really the Son of God, call down your angels. If I was Jesus, I would call down the angels. Kick some butt, booty, right? But I have that sin in me, that sin nature of like, you want to challenge me? Oh, yeah? I'll show you what I can do. Not Jesus. As he was nailed to the cross in a symbol of humility, he was teaching us what it means to be a follower of him. And you keep going back and saying, you know what? That, that fulfillment finds itself in being an ambassador of Christ. Fulfillment is found in, in being the expression of love and good deeds in this lost and hurting world. I was taking fishing just 
just this week by, by somebody who goes to this church and uh, just started going. And I haven't been fishing in like five years or something like that. And he, and he takes me out and he asks me my, my story, my, my, my gospel story, my, my testimony. How, Mark, how did you, you know, how did you meet Christ? How did you become a Christian? And I, and I told, him, told him that story. And my story is pretty heavy in, in the idea of like I was proud and I wanted everybody to serve me and, 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 and I wanted to make money and I wanted to, you know, uh, be self-reliant and all of these kind of things. And basically Jesus putting that on his head and, and calling me out of the marketplace to be a pastor and to be a servant and all these kind of things. And then he asked me the best question I have ever been asked and I have shared my gospel story hundred, literally hundreds and hundreds of times with people. Nobody has ever asked this question. And it just was so good. And, and it was like it was God himself. And he, he said this, so have you found fulfillment in following Jesus? I realize that's not part of my story. Like, I never say that. I imply it all through, but I never said it. I'm like, I was looking for fulfillment here. I was looking for fulfillment here. I was, and I, you know, so I followed Jesus, and I've been, you know, I've been serving people, and, and, and he says, well, have you found fulfillment? Have you found this rich and abundant life in following Jesus? And I thought about it, and I said, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you, but like it was, it like flipped my heart. Because I got to be honest with you, sometimes you know, think, gosh, you know, like, another sermon. Like, is it going to change anything? Or, you know, going, you know, going and, 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 and serving this person or, or, you know, I, you know, I do, I do you know, different things. You know, I, I serve here and talk with people, have another conversation or challenge them. You know, we teach classes here, equip classes to equip people to follow Jesus that, that you know, I'm, I, I work in the ministry through, through Red Eye and try to use those gifts to raise resources for local and global humanitarian efforts. I mean, I, I coach a kid's cycling team uh, and, and things like that. And, and I was like thinking about all those things and, and they get very mundane. But when he asked that question, I was like, you know what? I actually have. There is not a chance that I would go back. I mean, my job may change. My, my, where Jesus has me may, may change. I, I don't know what the future is, but as far as the heart, the heart of it, have I found fulfillment in following Jesus? And I'd like to stand before you guys today and say, I have. I have found that rich and abundant life in Jesus. And I have found actual self kind of worth in him and being part of what he is doing here locally and globally. And I believe that Christians 
we seek out these opportunities to serve and that we, in a real sense, gain ourselves by giving ourselves to others. And it looks different for each and every one of us. You know, some of you are fantastic businessmen and you, 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 know, you can use those, those gifts and talents and serve the, the body of Christ by using those gifts and talents. Some of you, you know, are just very hands-on. Some of you are very generous with your, with your resources. And that's one of the beautiful things about you know, being a, a follower of Jesus is it doesn't have to look like a certain way. The way is what He has designed you and put you on this earth to do. And that, in the, with the appropriate response to a holy God, is humility. And saying, you know what? That I have the opportunity to join with Jesus in what He is doing. Ultimately, we talked about Genesis and the ideal state, and we're in this, this period of hurting and mourning. And ultimately, humility is, is experienced through the power and majesty and holiness of Jesus. And I, I don't believe that any scripture probably captures that better than Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. And I have to read this, but you, you may just want to close your eyes and just, just receive this. It's up to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone. And I saw the Holy Spirit city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. You guys pray with me.